Hello guys and welcome back to the Japan Archives episode 48. We're a little podcast, me, myself and Heather. We delve into the histories and the myths and legends surrounding the country of Japan. We did say last week we were going to try and do the oldest companies in the world. We are still going to do it, don't worry. But in summary, a lot of their websites for these oldest companies actually do have a history section about their origins. It is however in Japanese, so we need a bit more extra time in translating this for you so we can bring you the full story. We are going to push it back a week, two at the most, depending on how long the translations take. Um, so for now, we want to do a bit of a literary episode. I came across a very interesting pangram, a Japanese pangram, and Heather, you've come across a modern song, that's right? A doyo. Doyo, so a children's song. Yes. If you are ready, I want to tell you about this pangram poem that I came across. I want to school you on some literature today. Yay! I suppose I'll ask you, as, as I suppose this question also goes towards our listeners. So if I was to say, if I was to ask you what a pangram was, could you give me an example or explain what a pangram actually is? So I, I want to say yes, but I really want to say no, because I would love to hear the explanation from you to make sure that I have the proper understanding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you are coming from a Western English speaking background, you probably might already know of a pangram, though you might not have necessarily known that this form of sentence was known as a pangram. And the most famous example I came across would be the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. So in essence, a pangram is a sentence which manages to use every letter from a given alphabet at least once. And from what I found out, pangram comes from the original Greek word, which in essence means every letter. How did I come across this pangram? I recently bought a new book for the library. And just this one. one was just, okay, only one has come this week. I haven't necessarily said I haven't bought more. Don't <laughs> shame me, Heather, okay? I'm not shaming you. I want to read these books. I want them to. <laughs> <laughs> now I bought a book on the Shugendo of the folklorist belief system that we've talked about a little bit before. It has links to the man that we covered called End the Pilgrim. He's the man who could fly around on Japan and also had those run-ins with the two creatures known as Zenki and Goki. Oh, yeah. And now this episode doesn't concern him and it actually doesn't even concern the Shugendo faith. However, when I was reading this book, I came across the mentioning of a Buddhist monk known as Kukai. And I recognized the name, but I couldn't remember from where. So I did a quick search online. And in doing so, I found that he is mentioned to have composed a poem known as Iroha, or at the very least has been attested to writing this poem. And we'll come back to that in a little bit as to why some people think he didn't necessarily write this poem. So this is what I want to talk about today. The poem I came across known as Iroha, and I will leave Kukai for another day. From what I could tell, Iroha is, like I said, it's a poem and it is a pangram, but it is even more famous as it is a perfect pangram in that it only uses the syllables once without repeating. Ooh. Unlike, for example, the quick brown fox sentence, which does reuse some letters such as E and O, the Iroha poem 
does not reuse any sounds whatsoever. The composition of the poem itself I found rather interesting in that its original form was not written using hiragana or katakana, nor did it even really use kanji in its strictest sense. So I'm wondering, Heather, do you know the type of script that they may have used instead? Did they use uh, the more uh, traditional kanji, the Chinese characters, not the simplified, but the, the more complex ones? Okay, good guess, good guess. Okay. So this poem actually used a script known as Manyogana. Is that something you know of? No, that's a new one on me. Okay, so a simple way of explaining these would be Manyogana is the use of Chinese kanji. However, the kanji have been stripped of their meaning and they are used purely for the sounds that they make. So the oh. sounds form the words, not the kanji itself. In fact, these Manyogana symbols actually devolved over time to become the syllabary kana system, which is katakana and hiragana today. So over time, these kanji became less and less ornate until they became the hiragana and katakana that we use now. We're looking into the origins of where this pangram was first written down. For that, we would need to turn our attention to a document known as the now, I apologize, it is a very long word and I will try my best. The Kongkyo Myo Saisho Kyo Ongi, which would be in English the readings of the Golden Light Sutra. And in this first instance, this is where we find it written in its original Manyogana form. Now, I will include this in the show notes for everyone to see. Now, the poem it appears when it was written, they tried to. From what I can tell, it looks like they try to write it to look neat and tidy. Every line of the poem is written with seven morai, seven sounds, or if you want, seven kanji, I suppose, and with the final line consisting of only five to finish off the poem for a total of 47 different sounds. However, if they did write the poem so that it looks like neat and tidy and almost a square, the poem would not have actually been read in such a way and would have followed the general rules of Japanese poetry in that it would go seven syllables, five syllables, seven, five, seven, five. And so even though the poem was written in such a way, it would have actually been read a little bit different to how it was on paper. Now what I would like to do for you and for Heather is I'm going to read the poem in the Japanese and I want to test you a little bit, Heather. I want you to tell me what sounds you hear, and I want you to s tell me if you notice any sounds missing, or potentially even some sounds that you don't recognize. Okay. Do you accept the challenge? I will gambarimashou. <laughs> okay. Iroha nihoheto chirinuru o wakeyotare tsune naramu uwi no okuyama Kefu koete Asaki yume mishi wehi me sesu. So I heard ui and wehi. I mm. those those two popped out at me as um unusual. Um or not ones I've I've noticed before. As far as missing, ah that that one you might have really stumped me. I might need to hear it like a few times to to pick it out. I'm Still not great at that. <laughs> no <laughs> worries. So you were correct in picking out the, well, the ui and the wehi. But specifically, because they're two different sounds, we you were right in the we 
and the way sound. Now, if you've been studying Japanese for a while and you already know the language, you might notice, like, obviously those sounds, like you said, oh, I've never heard those sounds before. These characters themselves are seldom seen now in Japanese, except perhaps in proper names. And you can now see that they are no longer actually used in the hiragana system. Where once they did exist, they were taken out of existence, I suppose. And so <laughs> these are very, very old Japanese sounds that haven't made it into the modern day. They do linger on a little bit with katakana. However, they now make these sounds by combining two separate symbols together. For instance, whiskey, you would use the U sound and you would use Whis the E sound to make whiskey. But Again, I did find out that they had these sounds as, as well in katakana. They had their own symbol originally. But again, those symbols have not made it to the modern day. So moving on to the sounds that you may have noticed that were missing. There was no n sound in the poem. Oh my gosh. Oh. And from what I could find during the research, it appears that this symbol did not actually exist until the 20th century because prior to this, they had not distinguished it from the sound of mu. Oh, interesting. Ding. Which also kind of makes sense because sometimes, I don't know if you've noticed this, occasionally if you see something transcribed to Romanji or to the English English alphabet, um, like for example, Shinbun newspaper, when you see it written in Hiragana, it has an N sound, but occasionally you'll see it written Shinbun, so that yes. the N and the M, oh, oh, that's fascinating. I think as well you sometimes see it with the train station of Nihonbashi in Tokyo. I do hear it. Sometimes people use the N, the Nihonbashi, but sometimes you do still see it written down as Nihonbashi. So uh, there mm. is still a bit of interchange between the N and M sounds in modern day Japanese, which I think is quite interesting. But the good thing about it is whichever way you say it, they're not necessarily wrong, so you will still be understood, which I'm very grateful about. <laughs> <laughs> now, as for the other sounds that weren't there, there were no G, Z, D, B, or P sounds in the entire poem. Mm. From what I can tell, it was a bit hard to figure this bit out. So take this with a bit of a grain of salt. I do want to definitely delve more into Manugana. It seems to be a very interesting topic to talk about, go look more into its origins and how it developed. But from what I could tell, these sounds did exist back then. However, they were probably used sporadically. And the use of portraying these sounds, I'm unsure if they existed back then. Now, the Aroha poem was written around the 10th century. And in the 11th century, we see that the tale of Genji was written, and the tale of Genji was famously written by a woman completely in hiragana. So there is potentially, there was already a system in place to show these extra sounds that weren't in the poem. But in essence, Heather, if you want to change a K to a G sound, how would you do that in Japanese? So you had the ka and you want to change it to ga. Ten, ten, ten mark. Exactly. So you add the two dash lines or similarly, if you want to change the H sounds into a P, you would do a little circle or a little maru. Maru. So these dashes and circles can 
also be called the Dakuten and the Han Dakuten. I was going to ask you because, um, and, and this is where I need to study more a little bit too, because um, there was, from my knowledge and understanding, again, also the grain of salt, many salts, that there is a, there was a difference, especially back in like the tale of Genji times where there was kind of the difference between, and even now there is some, a little bit of difference between like male and female spoken Japanese and male and female written Japanese. Um, and this gets into some deeper topics that we are probably not qualified to talk about, but not yet. That's, <laughs> I like your optimism. That's great. Thank you. Perhaps that these sounds were more like written in like the, the female, I hate, I'm, I'm hesitating to use this, but I don't know how else to say it at this time. So, you know, I'm trying to do my best here. Female. I think it's okay to say female because everything I've read, it always goes historically back to hiragana was the language of the women. It was the women's language. They weren't thought intelligent enough to potentially study kanji. And I did briefly come across something here which, which did say the men also back then, katakana was more of the male language because it was a stronger and harsher language. And it would be used a lot more by men in terms of, you know, talking about and writing about ancient classical literature, which they drew upon a lot in this time. And then hiragana was left separate. It was also supposed to be seen as because katakana was more angular, that's why it was seen as more yeah. male, whereas hiragana is a lot more flowy, so it was seen as more gentle and potentially more feminine, which is why it was seen as a women's language. Mm. We're worried about this. So, yes, so in essence, from what I can tell is the tale of Genji was written close around this time in hiragana, so I believe there's the potential, until I look more into it, that these dakuten and han dakuten may have already been in use because to write an entire story, the tale of Genji, you would have probably needed these extra sounds. Or I'm not sure if, because the Aroha poem does not have these sounds, potentially these hiragana could be read two different ways back then before the invention of these extra marks to denote the difference. It was a bit more interpretive in a way. A bit like how a lot of kanji these days can be read two different ways. I'm feeling right now that potentially hiragana could be read two different ways dependent on context back then. But I definitely want to look, research a bit more into the origins of this, manyugana, hiragana, and katakana. Um, so that's something for another day. But I thought it was interesting that this poem did not have these sounds when I came across it. Another interesting thing, this poem apparently contains a hidden message inside of it. Ooh. According to someone known as Kamatsu Hideo, what he found out is if you take the last syllable of each line, now you have to use the original poem for this, it creates a sentence which reads, Toka nakute shisu which can translate to die without wrongdoing. And a lot of people have come to believe that this is some form of eulogy to Kukai, which supports the notion that he did not in fact write this poem, but it was actually written after his death, not only to write a pangram poem, but also to remember him in some way, I suppose. Mm. Now, with all that out of the way, is there some form of legacy for this poem. We've tried to do this before with like the people we've talked about and the creatures, like what do they have that's lasted into the modern day? From what I can tell, 
Iroha, when written in katakana, um, can be used as a way to entitle something as the basics, um, basically taking the first three syllables of the poem. Trains used to use it. I'm not sure if you might still see it in the older types of trains, but basically the E was used for first class, Ro for second, Ha for third. And we're even going to quickly come back and mention Niko, which we've talked about very briefly oh. now and then. So Niko in Tochigi, there is a road called the Irohazaka, named after the poem due to the amount of turns there are on the road, which match the poem. So the Irohaz road. Music apparently, the musical octaves go Iroha Niho Heito, following the symbols of the poem. And that is the few bits I found for the legacy of the poem and how it lingers. Oh, there is also another mention I found that in a lot of legal documents, whereas we would go A, B, C. The really old documents, instead of going A, E, U, they go I, Ro, Ha, Ni, Ho, He, To. Now, with all of this out the way, I'm very sure that you would like the English translation that I came across for the poem. So if you are ready, Heather, I am happy to tell you. Yes, please. So the translation I came across goes as follows. Even the blossoming flowers will scatter eventually. Who in our world is unchanging? The deep mountains of karma, we cross them today. And we shall now have superficial dreams, nor be deluded. Ooh. Oh, wow. So your thoughts on the poem. Oh, that's just really striking me that like who in our world is unchanging mm, uh, that, yeah. that one really is is uh we shall now have superficial dreams oh gosh thomas you had to you had to like lull me into this wow this is creative this is creative and then hit me with some like some a karma super being thrown deep in. translation and meaning behind it i really love that and i completely agree with that yeah we all change different things at different points in our lives different things as we encounter new ideas as we encounter new things think about how many times we've changed just in this podcast and doing the research and things that we might have thought about last year that we go oh no we were we were a little off track on that or we were totally off base or wow we were onto something you know you can't think of yourself as being the same throughout your whole life you change and hopefully learn and grow and uh yeah the blossoming flowers i mean my roses um leaves have fallen off again i've got to prune it back and have it grow again and yeah i that really resonates with me today especially today that is, in essence, my section for today. The poem I came across that I thought was very interesting. I was originally going to do it as a bonus, but like you said, pushing back the oldest companies, it seemed it made sense to kind of do a literary episode. So that was my part over with. I'm intrigued as to the song you found for us today. So, yeah, today is... Uh, I'm just going to start with the title, Akatambo. And... Uh... Thomas, can you please tell me what that means in English? So the aka um, from looking at the kanji would be red. The tombo going off the name of the episode would be dragonfly. That's right. Today is a children's song, our doyo. And I encountered this song while doing some research a few months ago about doyo, and I just tucked it away for, you know, another day. And when we were chatting this week about the episode and changing it, 
I was changing my idea of what I would do for my part. And I was like, oh, I've got this song. How does this sound, Thomas? And you're like, yeah, that's great. And I thought, oh, well, you know, it's a children's song. So I'll find, you know, the lyrics. It'll be great practice. You know, I was really excited about it. And then I started researching into it. <laughs> and it, it, like your your poem, had so many layers involved. So I am, I honestly sort of wanted to delay talking about this just because I had so much more research than I expected. But I decided, you know what, I just want to go ahead and jump in and introduce this to you because you'll see in a few minutes. But let's start with, we're going to go all the way back, back in time to 1989. Okay. 1989. <laughs> so, you know, way back far, far far back in the past. NHK did a survey to find the most popular hometown song, or which we have talked about in the podcast, Furosato. And this song was rated as the most popular. Now, uh, I did talk to the professor about the song and I asked him, oh, have you ever heard Akatombo? He said, oh, dragonflies. And then he proceeds to send me a YouTube link for a comedic song that had nothing to do with what I talked about, but was humorous nonetheless. So apparently dragonflies are used in um, a few songs, I think, especially comedic songs. Okay. Let's go ahead and I'm going to talk about, first we'll go ahead and talk about the people behind the song. First, we're going to start with the lyricist who was Rofumiki. He is a Japanese, he was a Japanese poet. He was born in 1889, died in 1964. So we are into, well into modern Japanese history. Mm. He wrote for the Redbird magazine or Akatori, oh. Akaitori, which we have we talked have about talked before. About, yes. In episode 43, I think it was the Kappa episode. The number seems so low, but it feels like so long ago. It really does. <laughs> he wrote this poem as a reminiscence about his childhood. There is a longer story about that, but I want to come back to talk to him later because there is a much longer story and it touches on his life, his mother's life, and really interesting things that were happening around the Meiji period. Let's go to the composer. Let's switch over to the composer because his name is Yosaku Yamada. And he was a classical Japanese composer born in 1886 and died in 1965. Very famous composer who wrote and published his own collection of songs, 100 Children's Songs by Yosaku Yomada. And he also quite an amazing person, a very amazing, a great composer. We're going to come back and talk to talk about him as well. Uh, he did a lot to progress um, like the modern idea of the doyo to kind of change them from like lighthearted, simple children's songs into having like the, the, like the more meaning, deeper meanings, which is then where I ran into Akatambo, which has a deeper meaning than just singing about red dragonflies. Now for this song, we're gonna get into a little bit of music theory and my friend who's listening, who is a musician, hi. She, I know, will probably listen to this and give me more information. So I'll go ahead and say that this is uh, this song uses a scale called the Yonanuki Cho Ongai. And that is a form of the pentatonic scale. And it's been a little while since my music theory days. So I know it's based on fives. Okay, so we're going to come back to both the composer and the author because there are some amazing stories there. And I 
I'm so excited to talk about them, especially I, I'm, I mean, well, I am a musician. I mean, I'm very out of practice, but I did study music for a while. So it's nice to touch into music again. So, okay, Thomas, today I am going to be brave and I am going to sing this live. I'm only going to sing the first two lines of the song, but I am going to include actually two links. Because also when I was researching, I did ask the professor for assistance and I found a one, um, one YouTube link, but then he pulled up an American singer named Peggy Lee, who I'm, I'm not familiar with, but apparently she toured in Japan and was taught this song and would sing it in her concerts. So we're, we're also tying into an American singer who visited Japan and would sing Japanese children's songs. The professor said he, what I'm, I'm going to talk briefly about the song after I, I do sing it. She does have an explanation for the song as well, which uh, the professor said was lovely and correct. So I'm going to go based on and his recommendation. So I would recommend listening to both of them. The one song I'm sending is like a soprano, so more higher, more artistic um, song. And the other is uh, Peggy Lee, if, if you know her. She's a more, more relaxed kind of singer. Very beautiful, though. Both, both versions, I think, are highly worth listening to. Plus, they have music in the background. I'm singing a cappella. All right, so if you're ready. I am ready. All right, so... Well, I thought that was beautifully well done. Okay, so I have a question for you. Would you like to see what words you can recognize? Because sometimes, like for me, singing Japanese is sometimes, depending, it can be easier or more difficult to actually pick out individual words. Uh, would you like for me to read the Japanese first, or would you like to see what words you might have recognized in the song? I can have a look right quickly now at the Japanese. I can go ahead. I'll read the Japanese then. It's yuyake koyake no akatambo. So we have mita, which is the past tense of see. So soareoarete. My brain's just getting stuck on owaru, which is finish, but I feel that that might be wrong or it's a different one. Okay. Thank you for embarrassing me on my show. <laughs> I'm not. I had. I didn't know this one either. I didn't know that. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm gonna embarrass both of us because I had no idea either. <laughs> Is oh, you know I'm gonna have to let you down today, Heather, and say I only recognized the mita which is the past tense of C. Well, I did hear you say itsuno hika and he being the kanji for day or sun, depending on the context. But yes, I must politely bow out and say I have failed you this day. You you didn't you did not fail. Don't don't feel bad because I I, I got help too for this one. Okay. Um well we've got um yuyake koyake, which is sunset and that whole thing means Sunset. Yeah. Okay. The professor translated for me, and then I just kind of uh, reworded some of his things. But so we have like red dragonfly at sunset. And then oarete is actually a conjugation for like writing on the back. And per the professor, this is a symbol of childhood. So mukashi, mukashi. And even now, too, like the small children were carried 
on the back, uh, usually mm. like mother or older sister or nursemaid. So that being carried on the back is a feeling of childhood. Uh, Mita, you're right, is to see and like that day. So Itsunohika. So the meaning, the translation, and this is like the professor with a little bit of my rewording. Red dragonfly at sunset. I am remembering the red dragonfly that I saw while being carried on her back. Now, we don't have the specific if it was mother or nursemaid or sister, so it could be different meanings. But I think from my understanding of the, the translation for the song, it was potentially like maybe um, like a nursemaid or a mother. So this song, and there are, there are more verses, but we're only going to concentrate just on this first one today. It is a song about um, reminiscing about childhood. And from the professor, the concept of this song is called suyoku. And suyoku is remembering childhood with an abstract emotion. It's not happy. It's not sad, not positive or negative. It's just a simple, like a reminiscence uh, and recalling of a time in childhood. And for the professor, this is a very common philosophy in Japan that um, he shared with me that just looking back without having like that, you know, it it's almost like a more neutral feeling. There's like that sort of similar to that reminiscence where you're just recalling something, which we also get into the philosophy that we from coming from our perspective might be potentially like more heavy and more sad. Mm. So for this one, I think it's got that some of that wistful feeling in it too, but also just kind of, oh, I recall that day kind of sense of emotion. It's a very interesting concept. I think that's where we, like you and I are still in that, you know, very beginning stages of learning about like the, the different ideas. Because in, in each culture, there is a little bit there is differences in how sometimes we see things. Like the philosophy is differing. There are some different ideals depending on you know where you come from, what might influence your perspective on the song. Like for me, the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, this is quite beautiful and quite lovely. And then I heard the translation. I'm like, oh, now this becomes to me a little bit more wistful. But for yeah. the professor, he's like, mm, you know, it's it's maybe not quite so heavy. It could be, it could also be in this instance or this way. And so it's quite like, I'm quite, I'm quite excited to have run into this song to start getting to, to think about this concept. But before I keep going, Thomas, how, how's your feelings on it? I think for me, the, it's an interesting concept, the whole suyoku. And like you say, it's, you're remembering something that happened. It's not happy, not sad or anything. To me, that concept is a difficult one to grasp because I feel that like from an English background, when you recall all these old memories, you often attribute an emotion to them. Mm. So like when I was reading this, for me, instantly made me think that it would be a happy memory, not one that was just, oh, it happened. Like to me, it feels like a warm, gentle and nice memory. Mm. Yeah, that feeling of comfort, like when you're being carried as a child. Yeah. Like feeling safe and feeling feeling loved. And I definitely hope that for everyone, that feeling of very young childhood has that feeling for you. Well, I, I want so much to expand upon this song because I think it, it's going to have even more deeper meaning than what we've talked about today. However, we're going to come back to the song because we want to come, I want to come back and talk to, uh, talk to, talk about Rofumiki. 
and about his life. And we're going to come back to this song because there's a lot of interesting things behind it. But for today, that's where I'm I'm going to leave our segment. Well, I definitely appreciate you finding this song and for holding on to it for a while. You said you found, you came across it a while ago, but it wasn't what? It wasn't time for its story to be told, I guess. Well, Dragonflies, I think we've we've started we've encountered this when I was doing the, the poem search for dra- was it dragons and then I ran into dragonflies. <laughs> a while back that was for episode that was episode 44 i remember we did yamato no orochi and you wanted to find a dragon poem and then i accidentally came across oh i found a dragonfly thing and you're like oh dragonflies okay because those are more of a symbol of like summer and even into fall so they are seen later in the year so i kind of wanted to save it for around this time so it just happened to time out perfectly strangely enough just one of those things that happens i mean i've I've got quite a few things i've encountered and i tuck them away for later sometimes i don't find them for a long time sometimes i forget about them or sometimes i go it's it's not time for you yet well i'm glad you brought the story to us today i really appreciate that and i'm, I'm looking forward to looking for iroha now because i bet it's going to be like the kappa where we talked about kappa and then like i swear that next weekend i was like oh there's a kappa 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 mm-hmm. we're going to start noticing iroha 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 i mean if we do come across it i'll be sure to let you know uh but i with all that out the way is it time for us to sign off heather you know i think before we find something else that's got 15 different layers we probably should do that okay. well right, guys thank you again for tuning in this week hopefully by next week we'll have finished the oldest companies for you but if not like i said at the most we'll push you back two weeks if it is pushed back again well i suppose next week will it be a surprise while we decide what we're gonna do for you um but apart from that if you are enjoying the show please give us a raise and review uh probably over on itunes that's the best place right now it would really help us find a few more listeners you can follow us over on facebook and twitter at japan archives and if you want to see some of my pictures while i'm out exploring japan well when i can get out and explore japan you can find that over at nexus underscore travels n-e-x-u-s underscore travels but that is everything for me today unless you have something else to add heather thank you guys for listening and we hope to see you again next week all right then guys speak to you next week matane